Good morning again, and I hope everybody's looking forward to Thanksgiving. We are obviously preaching out of that very traditional Thanksgiving text, Judge Not. Um, So Scripture comes through and, and things line out. It's amazing how he works in hearts. And, and this week as I was preparing this sermon, I, I had two thoughts. One was I kind of laughed every time I started to work on it because this has got to be the easiest sermon to preach ever because nobody can say anything bad about it. Like, don't judge. Don't judge. So, anyway, that was my first thought. I know, corny. That's, that's how my brain goes. That's how my brain goes. All right, I put a big spot on my glasses. I apologize. I can't see my Bible right now. There we go. Much better. Um, but the second thought that, that processed as I really got into this text is this is so much about our hearts. And as I think you'll see as we walk through here, the heart of this text is, is having a humble heart. And that's the exact heart of thanksgiving. Is realizing it's not from us. Our righteousness, our holiness, our, our goodness, all of this is from God. And He's so generous. So we have this humble heart and we're, we're grateful to Him. That's the heart of thanksgiving, right? But that's also the heart of this text. And so what I want to do is we work through Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 6. If you have a Bible, open it there. I would, I would love to have you follow along. But I want us to take this text. It's probably the most known text by the secular world. It used to be John 3.16, right? That was always the sign or that was what somebody would, oh yeah, I know John 3.16. But now it seems to be Matthew 7.1. Judge not. Judge not. Right? And it's ironic how judgy that comes across when people say it, isn't it? Like, I mean, even in the way they're interpreting that statement, that anything you say about what you disagree with me, or you're saying, oh, you're, you're wrong in this area, even if it's in a kind of way, judge not. Don't ever say I'm wrong. Do you see the irony and the, the hypocrisy in that? They're telling you don't do that when you tell them don't do that. So what does this passage mean? And why does Jesus put it here? He's been talking about anxiety. He's been talking, we're about to talk about loving others. We're about to talk about praying. How does this come in here? And what I think you'll see, and I hope you'll see, is that, that when we have a critical, judgmental attitude, when we, when we don't use discernment and kindness in how we talk to people, it's a sign of a spiritual illness. It's a sign of pride. It's a sign of arrogance. It's a sign of not being self-reflective. And so I want to walk through this passage. I want to talk through it. But first, I want to read you some other scriptures. I kind of want to put this in the context of Jesus' teaching. What did Jesus actually say about judging? So we have this text here, right? But let me read you some more. John seven twenty four. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. 
See, Jesus actually commands us to. In some ways, in some fashions. Matthew 18, 15 through 20 says it this way. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. So he actually tells us to go confront someone who sinned against us or who we find sinning. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So again, it even gets bigger. You're ganging up on somebody, right? Wouldn't that be how we would interpret that now? But listen to the, the climax of this text. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. In other words, the, the body of believers. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or as a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Listen to this. The the big comfy passage that we always read. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. It's about confronting sin. That's not how we normally think of that passage, right? So uh, Jesus came hard at times. He told us to came, come hard at times. Matthew 23, uh, starting in verse 25, says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He named names. He, named, he called the groups out. Hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Like Those are fighting words, right? And, and they fought. They killed him for it. He, he was not gentle in that. I mean, he came hard. Just so you think this isn't just Jesus, 1 John 4, 1 through 3, the beloved disciples, right? John, who talks all about love, 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 love. Listen to what he says. Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. In other words, he said, there's true teaching, there's false teaching, and you need to know the difference. You actually need to check out what people are saying. And then listen to how hard he comes. This is the spirit of Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. John comes on and, and says, all those people who are teaching false things about Jesus, yeah, they're, they're little antichrists. I mean, this is coming at it, right? You got end times. He's like, you're, you're worse than the end times for teaching false things about Jesus. So when Jesus says, do not judge, let's be careful to not assume he means Just be fluffy, cuddly little bunnies everywhere, right? But what I also don't want us to do is know and understand that yes, there are things we need to make decisions about. There are things we need to evaluate on Scripture. There's actually people we need to confront. 
But we need to be careful to not dismiss what he does say. He says, judge not. He's obviously making a point. I mean, he starts with the implication. Don't do that. So we need to come in here and we need to be very careful that we're balancing. We're not looking at this as the world looks like it, looks at it, just to get out of whatever they want to get out of. But we also need to not overreact to that, swing the pendulum so far that we think we can say whatever we want to say about anybody we want to say and however we want to say it and whenever we want to say it and that's my right. We need to be very careful to hear what Jesus is saying. So we're going to break this into two sections. Um, the first five verses, and I never thought I would put this word in a sermon point, but the point is, don't be a judgmental jerk. Write that down. It's right there. Yes, there's a blank for you for the word jerk. Again, never thought I'd say that in a sermon, but that's the heart of what Jesus is saying here. I really, truly believe. Don't be a judgmental jerk. Read verses 1 through 5 with me again. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Remember that word from what Jesus just said when he went off on the Pharisees? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You see, this, this attitude of, of being judgmental, being harsh, being critical, being a jerk. As we look back in the last couple hundred years of Christian history, is, is completely antithetical. It's, it's the opposite of who Christians were. Christians were the people who were kind. People were the Christians who were standing up for others. People were the Christians who would sometimes just take a blow in love to someone else. See, when we get this judgmental heart and spirit about us, it's actually a sign of a sickness called pride. I don't know that there's a human alive on this planet that doesn't struggle with that. Some may be more than others. But look what Jesus is saying we're doing. Judge not that you not be judged. Who is the judge? Who's the one he's saying we're in danger of being judged by? Read the next part. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured against you. Who holds our lives in judgment? Christ Himself makes that claim. He says, I'm the one coming back to render judgment. Remember the commands? I still, King James for me. Judgment is mine, thus saith the Lord. See, God is the judge. And what Jesus is saying is, is you're trying to be me. 
You're so full of your self-righteousness, or you're so full of your pride, you're so full of thinking you are right. You're the smartest. You're the most spiritual. You're the most holy. You really read the Bible, not all those other people. You're putting yourself in the place of God. It's pride. Jesus is placing a neon blinking sign out there. The kind when you're driving down the road that that you wish wasn't there because it's distracting you from where you need to be looking. And that blinking sign is saying, judge at your own risk. We're so fixated on the sins of others. Kids, I want to talk to you all a minute. I have seen this for many, many years before I had my children, and I see it even more now that I have my own, but I have seen this particularly in kids. There is some sort of glee in the other guy getting in trouble. Whether that's your brother or sister, or that other person in class, somehow you just love it when they get in trouble. Whether it's tattletelling or just in your hearts. Jesus is saying, that's pride. You're trying to act like God and thinking you're better than everyone else. But adults, <laughs> I don't think the apple falls too far from the tree, does it? We do the same thing. How many times do we say, yeah, they deserve that? Even in church discipline. So that, that passage where we talked about Jesus, where, where he said, sin's so bad, it, it's brought before the church, the person is, is kicked out of the church. In the Roman Catholic Church, that, that Scripture is interpreted to mean that the church can condemn someone to hell. But that's not at all what the Scripture says. It, it says, put them out of the church and, and start witnessing to them. Even when we talk about this in the language we speak of at Providence, we've only thankfully had to do this a very few times of very egregious sins over years of time usually. Even then, we don't say this person's not saved and they're going to hell. Even then, we would just be so careful to say in the most extreme case, it doesn't look like they're a believer. We hope they are. And if they are and you're repenting, come on back. We're good. Like We're all sinners here. Even in the most extreme cases, we would never say that person's going to hell. But how often, how often in the last six months of the crazy in our country have we said, oh, they're obviously not Christian. How often in our hearts have we condemned someone out of our pride. We're taking the place of God. It's pride. The second thing Jesus calls this, it's not just pride, it's hypocrisy. See, there are people who are prideful, like the famous Muhammad Ali, who said, it ain't bragging if you can do it. And he's pretty prideful, right? He could. We're not there. We are not Muhammad Ali spiritually. We're all a bunch of sinners, right? Every, I know y'all. 
okay? Almost all of y'all. We can't do it, to use his quote. So Jesus says, this is hypocrisy because you're sinning too. This judgmental, hateful, critical attitude that so many of us take on so easily. And he gives us just this ridiculous illustration. A dude with a log in his eye going around saying, ah, 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 look at that. Last night, we were, um, we're doing some renovation upstairs. I'm not sure how this happened. We were putting some new flooring down and suddenly I'm tearing walls out of my house. Um, I, I need, I don't know, we may need counseling. I, I'm not sure how this always works out, but I was tearing the wall out and uh, my wife made the comment, you know, you probably ought to put some, you know, Goggles on, you're working with drywall. I don't know. And so, of course, the next thing I do, I'm working on that and, you know, hit the sheetrock with the, with the nail bar and it drops right in my eye and I'm blinking trying to... How obsessed are we with getting that dust out? I mean, it hurts, right? There are few things in life other than dentists that are worse than getting something in your eye, right? I mean, it's just it's horrible. It's obsessive, isn't it? you got to get it out now. And Jesus says, it's not just the drywall dust in your eye. You've got a board in there. And you're ignoring it and picking at everybody else. It's hypocrisy. It's fake. You're not that good. I'm not that good. See, a judgmental, jerk, critical, mean-spirited, whatever word you want to use for it, that attitude is the sign of a heart sickness. It's the opposite of someone who's loving and enjoying God and His forgiveness for our sin. But, But let me flip the coin here. Let me flip the coin here. And hit the second point, this second verse here. Kind of an odd verse. Almost an uncomfortable verse to read. Verse number six. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. So first thing, is Jesus saying we should never make assessments about things? Well, obviously not, right? So that can't be what judging means. But it's, it's about the attitude, it's about the heart. But what he's saying here is be discerning. Sometimes, in just the same arrogance, self-righteousness, we throw discernment and, and wisdom, and couth, to use an old word, out the window. Um, so, this weekend, again, we, so we have the Stegall hound at our place too. He's a 75-pound golden doodle. We've got our 60-pound golden doodle, and they are nasty and messy, and they found mud in my yard. I don't know where they found mud in my yard, because it hadn't rained forever. They found mud in my yard yesterday, so they're just disgusting, right? And we're doing this work upstairs. We've got them down in the laundry room, and I am having my daughter take down her American Girl dolls. She was given those. 
I guarantee you I would have never spent that on a doll. But if you don't know, they're, these re, they're really nicely, truly made, like American-made, really high-quality dolls that are really expensive. And I made sure she took those from the, the loft playroom down, put them appropriately up in her room. And then this morning as I'm walking out, thinking about this passage, I look on the floor and there's an Elsa doll that's like a dog toy. And why are two male dogs that are giant have Elsa doll? I don't know. But anyway, there's an Elsa dog toy there. And they're chewing the snot out. It probably doesn't exist. I don't know. My wife may have had to throw away when she... They were just going at it. And I didn't even think about it. Why? What's a dog toy? It's not a $100 American Girl doll, right? I have never had to tell my daughter, don't throw your American Girl doll to the dogs. Because she knows that. It's not even hard, Right? We know that kind of stuff. How many of y'all keep your jewelry in the garden? I mean, no one would do that. We're smarter than that, aren't we? And then we throw out a highly emotionally charged, angry, lamb blast statement about all those people on social media. And we're shocked when people get mad. How many times have we seen that in the last year? Sometimes, even when you're right, the appropriate thing to do is keep your mouth shut. And I'm not saying, obviously, I've read scriptures about confronting other people. I've talked about church discipline. I'm not saying we shouldn't confront people. I'm not saying we shouldn't say what's right and what's wrong. Please do not hear that. Don't say I said that. But what I am saying is sometimes our pride and our arrogance and our self-righteousness makes us say the right thing in a wrong way. So let me give you three cautions here, really quick, before we talk about being discerning and making some appropriate judgments. Let me give you three cautions. Number one, we need people around us who can tell us when we're being a judgmental jerk instead of being discerning. Like We don't see that in ourselves. We wouldn't have said it if we didn't think it was right, right? We need others around, friends, but particularly brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us see ourselves. Second, if you are the one who's always the discerning one, you're always the one who's showing discernment. It's always you who's showing discernment. Would you go, like, get online and listen to point number one again first? Because... Don't think you're being very discerning, probably. Sometimes this word discerning can be an excuse for being a jerk. Don't use that. Final things. You need a church to come around you on this. To help you see. To help open your eyes to Scripture. It's not because I'm magic. It's not because Joe's magic or Chad's magic or other elders are magic. It's because the congregation of people, we help each other. 
One of the things that we have said since day one, when there were a lot of us who didn't trust each other when we started this church, there was a lot of struggles. And one of the things we committed to do from the get-go is give each other the benefit of the doubt. To when somebody says something that sounded just rotten and mean, to pick up the phone or take them out to coffee or whatever it is we could do and say, hey, are you okay? Am I, are, are, like, are we Okay. Did I do something I don't even realize I did? Because it, it sounded like you were upset with me. Instead of, well, we need each other for that. This is where life is worked out. It's really easy to say love others until there's some others to love. Right? Everybody, all you need is love, right? I mean, we just Beatles song, everybody's happy, but not everybody's happy, right? They don't get along. It's really easy to say love everybody till there's a body. So be careful. Be careful. All right, so what does this mean? How do we practice this? And let me give you some really practical things of, of being careful that we, we don't throw out truth, real true things, in a way that disguises God who's saying them. One, be careful on social media. One of the things that is my personal rule is anything that requires nuance or involves a lot of emotion, it does not go on social media for me. I just don't. I just don't see that as an appropriate medium for that. Now, that's my rule. That's not Scripture. Please hear that. That's my rule. If it requires nuance... Or if it's highly emotional, I'm just not going to put it on social media. I'm going to use a different means. I'm going to talk face to face and fix Steve's terrible politics, right? When, when I'm, I mean, we're going to get together over lunch and figure it out. I'm going to care enough about him to have a conversation, not a shouting match. By the way, Steve, I don't even know what Steve's politics are. I'm sure they're fine, but be careful of the setting. Number two, we don't beat people into the kingdom of God. We don't beat people into the kingdom of God. Back in the Crusades, so several hundred years ago, under the name of Christ, which was absolutely a farce, these were political ploys, not Christian endeavors, armies went down to the Middle East and they were actually heard entire villages at the point of a sword or a spear into a river and said, ah, you're baptized. You're Christians now. Now, I'm, I'm going to guess not a single one of those people converted. Right? Pretty obviously. We're still, as believers, hurting in the Middle East when we go to witness and share about Christ because of the remembrance of what happened back then. We know that's bad, right? Any, any questions on that one? That's bad, right? We didn't, those guys were dumb. But how often Maybe not at the point of a spear, but the point of a very sharp word. Do we sometimes cloud the truth of the gospel by how we speak trying to beat people into the kingdom of heaven? And let me tell you a place I'm guilty, and that's in my family. There are way too many people, and sometimes it's me, shamefully, who are much kinder 
to strangers and acquaintances than we are in our own home. They're much gentler about sharing a truth to that person who's offensive at work, church, whatever, than we are to our own son or daughter or spouse. Don't beat your family into Christ's kingdom. It's not going to work. We say we love them. We need to act like it. Sometimes, particularly with family, I'm going to use a sports illustration. It's about to happen. It's about to happen. Y'all know I don't like sports. Sometimes the most important way to love and minister to your family and share the gospel with family is just like a wide receiver runs a pattern and is that like they're going to do this one thing and they're going to be there whenever that quarterback throws the ball. They're going to be in the right spot to catch it. Sometimes we just need to be in the right spot to speak into our family. We've got to wait. We've got to be patient. And I'm not saying hide the truth. Please don't hear that. But sometimes we need to play smart ball. And not just brute force try to get something through. Third thing, be careful that we don't force our opinions as part of gospel truth. Be careful that we don't force our opinions as part of the gospel truth. One of the things in history, missionaries who did some awesome things, but when they went to Africa, one of the things many missionaries did is when there was a church, when there got to be a group of believing people, they told them to build a building that looks like this. You know, big beams, kind of A-shaped. But that's not an African style of building. And you know what happened when they all came into that building? It was ridiculously hot and miserable and humid and muggy and no one wanted to come to church. And when the missionaries got and realized that, well, you don't have to make a church building look like this, and they were having round buildings or just meeting under a tree. There's lots of churches to this day in Africa that meet under trees. But we took our culture and just like shoved it on somebody. This actually exact same thing happened in some of the Polynesian islands. And you know what happened? Hurricanes. They're not there anymore. They got blown down. Because it wasn't the right kind of structure for that place. And guess what? Their structures worked a lot better because they figured that out. And is the shape of your building, does that have anything to do with the gospel? So we would see that as ridiculous, right? But how often does, does some of our hang-up cause an offense with someone? There's, there's a thing I've said a lot of times is we want the gospel to be the offense because the gospel's offensive. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. You need to repent and trust Him. That's, that's offensive. We don't like hearing that we're wrong. But we need to let Christ be the offense. Not the teller of the story. When I went to Central Asia the first time on a mission trip, um, I've done little magic tricks, stuff like that, to talk with kids, talk with other because it's just an easy. Um, it, it breaks down barriers. Everybody kind of laughs, have some fun. It's usually self-deprecating, and and then I can share. 
you know, some kind of a little illustration from that. So the first time I go, I fan out cards, go to a guy I'd been building a relationship with, great guy, loves the Lord, he's in a wheelchair, and so I thought, somebody's probably never paid attention to him. I show him the cards, and his eyes go, great big. I thought, oh, I picked the right guy. He's excited. He was not excited. And the translator, translates what I'm saying, just pick one of those cards, any of them you want. And translator translated, I hear it go through. So I don't know what's being discussed, but suddenly there's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And the next thing I'm seeing is this guy going like this to me in a wheelchair. So he's like scooting it back, trying to do this. I'm like, what What I do? Well, cards are offensive there. Didn't know that. Felt real dumb. And now I'm kind of standing here, okay, well, you know, where, where do I go from here? I didn't care enough to learn before I started. I just assumed that everybody was like me. Sometimes we trip people up on what's not that important. So be careful. Have enough humility to see that everything that's important to you is not necessarily gospel truth. Hold to the Scriptures. And be careful on that. So, so as we wrap this up, I, I want us to think, and I want us to think really quickly, big picture. As I reflected over this sermon more and more, it, it felt like to me an old school dark room. So, kids... You may not know this, but way back in the day, you had to put this thing called film in cameras, all right? And film was this magic tape-looking thingy that you shoved in there, and you had to wind it and all this stuff, and then you took pictures. When you took it out, you had to take it out. You gave it to somebody, unless you were a real fancy photographer, and then you did it yourself. And they went in a room, and it was dark. It was literally dark, because if they shone lights on it, it would ruin the film. They put in all these little chemical baths, and what was on the film would then become visible, and they'd transfer it to the pictures that you could hold. So they weren't taking the pictures, right? They were exposing, that was the term used, exposing the pictures. I think this is kind of what Jesus is doing. He's not making people a Christian, and if you don't judge, and you use great discernment, you do awesome of this, that doesn't make you a Christian. But when we fail in this, so often it's exposing what's in our hearts. So often it's showing us who we really, really are. So often it's showing we think we're better, smarter, more spiritual, more holy, or more godly than everybody else. So often when somebody's judgmental and harsh and mean, They're prideful. Or maybe they're just feeling their own guilt and they're trying to take someone else down to make themselves feel better too. Or maybe when we're not being discerning, it's just because we just don't care. I'm supposed to show the gospel. Take it. Or we're just so prideful. We're just shoving what we see is the right way all over the place. Something's already there. It's just being exposed. 
So let me ask you right now, we're going to take just a pause, just a time of of quiet reflection, and I want you to look at your heart and see what's there. Is there pride lurking in your heart that's not been confronted by Jesus Christ? Is there a self-righteous arrogance? And I want us to take this back. Remember, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and what is the very first words of the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. This, this humility, this bankruptcy of my own righteousness is how we come to Jesus. And so let me invite you to one of two things. One, if you're a believer, root out those areas of self-righteousness and pride and arrogance, and self-concern, and, and repent. Repent. Kill that sin. Turn to Christ in it. And don't feel guilty. Don't beat yourself up of it. Turn to Christ in it and receive His gracious forgiveness because He's a gracious, steadfast, loving Lord who comes to us out of an abundance of steadfast love. But two, maybe this is revealing. There's a, there's a deep heart problem. Maybe this is revealing. There is pride in my soul, not Christ. I've just been acting the part. I've been coming to church and doing all this because I think I'm better than everybody else. My begging plea to you is repent and turn to Christ. Repenting simply means turning from our ways, our self-righteousness, our pride, our, 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 And turning away from that to Christ in faith. Trusting Him to forgive you because He is a good and gracious Savior who died, paid for your sins on the cross, rose up again, stands to intercede for you. But calls you to come poor in spirit. Not your way. His. If you'd like to talk about that, I would love nothing more to chat with you about that. Jeff Williams, one of our elders, is going to be up here playing. Tedra would be a great one of our deacons to talk to. If you're a lady and like to talk to somebody, we would love to chat with you about that. But take that time. But let's pray. And then we're just going to have a little silence as the band comes up and think. Heavenly Father, the only one who can judge rightly. Father, forgive us for the sickness of pride and arrogance, self-righteousness, self-focus. We ask You to have mercy and we come confident that You will because we plead the blood of Jesus by faith. Lord, help us to not go out of here beat up and feeling guilty, but go out of here forgiven and joyful. Father, we pray that You would take judgmental, hateful, ugly criticism out of our hearts and fill us with the joy 
of knowing that our sin that's so great has been forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, may we sing to you now in humility, joy. Thank you, God. In Jesus, your name we pray.